0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host Justin, and today we're jumping into chapter 28, A Way Out. Um... There's some tie into the previous chapter, but I don't want to kind of ruin how it starts, so we'll kind of jump into this and you'll see as we go. So we start out with Matt just eating a snack after breakfast. He had some ham, three apples, bread and butter. And then the door of his room opens up, and Nineveh, Egwene, and Elaine show up, and they're all smiling at him brightly, and he gets up to put a shirt on, but then he just decides to sit down instead, being stubborn about it, because they could have knocked, but they didn't. But either way, it's good to see their faces, at least in the beginning. Egwene's like, well, you do look better, and Elaine's like, oh, as if you had a month of good food and rest. Nineveh puts a hand on his forehead, and he flinches before he, you know, realizes that She'd pretty much done this for at least five years back home. It's like, well, she was the wisdom den, and she wasn't wearing that ring. But she notices his flinch. She gives him a tight smile, he's like, well, you look ready to be up and about to me. Are you tired of being cooped up yet? You never could stand two days in a row indoors. Which, I mean, says something about him being an outdoorsman. And he looks the last apple core and drops it back on the plate, and he almost starts to lick the juice off of his fingers, but they were all looking at him and he's still smiling. Now, this part I thought was interesting because it's kind of, it's a, it's two blank blobs of dialogue and stuff or not dialogue. I should say a uh, commentary from him, his perspective where he realizes that he's trying to decide which of them was the prettiest and could not, which means they're all equally pretty but they might have their individual differences, but they're all pretty. It's like, had they been anybody but who and what they were, he would have asked any and all of them to dance a jig or a reel. He had danced with Gwen often enough back home, and even once with Nynaeve, but that seemed a long time ago. So he's he's sitting there doing what Matt would do, which, I mean, he's he's partially a womanizer, so it makes sense that he would be like... Wow, you're kind of pretty. I'd like to have a dance with you. (laughs) It's kind of his thing, but he's looking at all three of them and trying to decide which one's which. But then, um, he's like trying to remember, like, oh, I've done it with a Gwen before. Like we've we've danced plenty of times, and I've even done it with Nine Eve before. And then he goes on with a, a quote. He's like, one pretty woman means fun at the dance, two pretty women mean trouble at the house. Three pretty women means run for the hills. And he looks naive and even tighter smile than her own. He's like, My dad used to say that. You're up to something naive. You're all smiling like cats staring at a finch caught in a thorn bush. And I think I'm the finch. Now here's the thing very perceptive. Really, extremely per- perceptive. Like he's been out of it for however long, right? And he's just been healed. He's he was at the door of death, and now he's kind of coming back from it, building up his strength little by little. And he remembers a quote from his dad, <laughs> and that quote not only. Is, is a good quote, but it's also applicable to the circumstances in which he is in. But then their smiles flicker and vanish, and their hands are something he notices, and he wonders why they look like they've been washing dishes. Like, well, because he doesn't know that they have been. He doesn't know about their punishment, he doesn't know any of that type of stuff, so... It's nice because this chapter shows everything from the character perspective, not from the viewer or the reader perspective, because the viewer, or the reader knows, yeah, they've been washing dishes and they're like, why are you reiterating the same stuff that we already know? And it's like, because he doesn't know. And this is something I love about Rubber Jordan's writing. And I honestly think every writer under the sun should be like this because characters don't meta. That That's a term using D&D where basically, or Dungeons & Dragons, um, where players talk to each other and exchange information as players, not as characters, and then their characters act on information that only the player knows, but the character doesn't. So it's playing a character, well, I guess it'd be more like in Hollywood, if you have movie stars acting and they read the script, they know how it ends, but they don't, their character that they're playing doesn't know how it ends. So the movie starts, the shooting starts, actors get into position and they're all sitting there like, oh, who could have murdered Uncle Jeff? And he's sitting there with a knife in his back. And then the actor goes, it was Bobby. And everyone looks at Bobby and he's like, well, how do you know that? And he's like, because he has this, 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 and starts like, naming off all the information in the script, stating that this is what happens and like these are the things the character finds and all that jazz. But instead of going through those inst- incidents and learning that information as a character, the actor or actress decides to burn it all at the beginning and say, ha, it's this person and I can prove it and then proceeds to take everybody through places where they could not have known, could not have been there's no way for them to get there and says here's the fingerprints, here's this, here's the murder weapon here's this, here's this, there's this where were you? They were over here because they couldn't have been any of these places, their alibi is fake blah blah blah, like, that's meta so, the reader might learn about something three or four times in a, in a, in a series because the people they're reading about haven't learned it. And that's one of the things I like about it is because I want to know what Matt knows, not what Egwene, Elaine, Nynaeve, Swan Sanche, uh, really any of the Aes Sedai. Like, I, I don't care what everybody else knows. I want to know what Matt knows. Matt's like, I'm spotting something. One pretty woman means fun at the dance. Two pretty women means trouble in the house. Three pretty women mean run for the hills. Like, he notices something. He's perceptive. But he also notices something. Like, their hands look like they've been washing dishes. He doesn't know that they have been washing dishes. This is an amazing style of writing. And I wish every author did it in some way or form. At least if it was applicable. Because it tells the viewer that, yeah, you're going to get a few, infor- a little bit of information repetitively, but from different angles so you can know what a character does and doesn't know. So all it took was one sentence and we know that he's not aware of the drama going on in the White Tower between them, for, for them leaving, them being punished, even though it was announced, obviously, because he's mostly kept in his room up to that point. He was severely weak couldn't really move and no one's going to be talking to him about it no one's gossiping to him about what's going on in the tower people are probably aware and whispered to themselves when they see elaine Nineveh, and Egwene, you know scrubbing pots and stuff as accept- accepted but they're not like oh we should go tell this random stranger that's just gotten healed from a dagger that killed an entire nation and civilization uh about these three accepted that we don't even know if he's related to him in any shape or form through the story and let him know that they've been washing dishes because they got punished for leaving the tower. Like that, that wouldn't make any sense. And you spend way more time trying to fill that in, like building that in than just giving the sentence right here that like, Hey, this sentence is plenty, but it also lets us know he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't, which helps for the rest of this chapter because he needs to take a letter well, we'll get to that. He just to take a letter somewhere. But he doesn't know why. He doesn't know why they can't do it. He doesn't know anything. Like, it's, it's completely just based around the information that he has to learn as he goes. Because he's learning as he goes. And... The daughter heir of Andor surely never washed a dish, as he had a hard time imagining Nynaeve at it, even knowing she had done her own back in Emmonsfield. So he's like at least two of them doesn't make sense to do it, even though I know one of those two has actually done it before. It just it, he imagined because of Nynaeve's bully tactics and stuff as the wisdom, he in his mind, even though he knows that she does her own dishes. He's, like, imagining she bullies some poor man into coming to the house and cleaning all her dishes because, you know, she's a bully. Like, that's what she does. And the daughter of Andor is obviously royalty, so why would she ever do her own dishes? She'd have some servant do it for her. But they're all wearing their great serpent rings. And he's like, well, that's new. So this is his perception, his perspective, saying... This is something I did not know before, and it's not a particularly pleasant surprise. It's like, well, it had to happen eventually, and it's none of my business, and that's all there is to it. It just isn't my business. But Arguin shakes her head, and it seemed as much for the other two women. He's like, well, I told you, I, we should have asked him straight out. He's stubborn as any mule when he wants to be, and tricks him as a cat. And he's, she specifically, like, I'm, I'm more bewildered right now because it's it's silly. He's like, you are, Matt, you know it, so stop frowning. And he puts his grin back quickly. But I want to go back to this real quick. He's stubborn as any mule when he wants to be and tricks him as a cat. This is a pot calling the kettle black. Like, literally, they walked into his room in order to trick him and are being blatantly stubborn about it. Like, she's literally... like she's describing herself and the other two girls with her while simultaneously pointing the finger at him which he is a trickster but i have to always remind my best friend when we get into arguments about something he's like well you did this and i was like that was like four years ago (laughs) like i haven't done anything like that remotely since that point in time so it doesn't apply the same way. So they're like, oh, he's stubborn as he wants to be. Well, it's a that's a two rivers trait for one. And two, he's tricks him as a cat. Well, yeah, he was a trickster. He was a mischievous little boy. Like that's that's what he was slash is. But making it sound like it applies strictly to him and nobody else is just disingenuous. And he was like, hush, Matt, we just want to ask you a favor. And just because we want to, doesn't mean that we don't care how you feel. We do care. And you do know that, but unless you're being more wool-headed than you typically are, how are you feeling? Are you well, you look a lot better than you used to when the last time I saw you. And it does look more like a month than two days. He's like, oh, well, I'm ready to run 10 miles and dance a jig at the end. And his stomach growls, reminding him how long until midday it was. But he ignores it and just hopes they don't notice. But he feels like he had a month of rest and food and had had a meal in the last day, only one. He's like, well, what kind of favor? I mean, he's kind of suspicious about this, but that's to be expected, considering they just literally tried to trick him because they are as tricksome as a cat. Using the Egwene's terms. But Nynaeve did not ask favors in his recollection. Nynaeve told people what to do and expected them to see it done. Which is his personal experience. Now, their personal experience is he's stubborn as a mule, as he wants to be, and tricks him as a cat. But his personal experience is she doesn't ask for favors. She tells people what to do and expects them to do it. So, there's a little bit on both sides. But Matt doesn't do that. I I don't recall any point in the story that they describe him as somebody who tells people what to do and they do it because he said so. And Elaine's just like, oh, I just want you to carry a letter for me to my mother and Camelin. And she smiles at him with a putting that dimple in her cheek. It's like, oh, I'd appreciate it very much, Matt. And the morning light through the window kind of picks up the highlights in her hair. And the first thing he thinks of is I wonder if she likes to dance. It's like, that's a very weird, (laughs) that's a very weird thing to be thinking about. But because of the light picking out the highlights in her hair and she's got that kind of rose gold appearance kind of makes sense. I mean, no doubt she's pretty. But he pushes that out of his head. He's like, Well, that doesn't sound very hard, but it's a long trip. What what what's in it for me? You know? The typical response you'd expect from somebody, you know. I mean, I would love to do this out of the kindness of my heart, but that's a long trip. So what do I get? But the look on her face Shows that he doesn't like she doesn't typically get turned down with that dimple, like that dimple doesn't fail her. So she pulls herself up all slim and proud, and you can practically see a throne behind her. He's like, Are you a loyal subject of Andor? Do you not wish to serve the lion throne in your daughter heir? And of course, he snickers, and Egwene's like, Yeah, that's not gonna work either. I told you that wouldn't, not with him. And Elaine twists her mouth and she's like, Well, I thought it was worth a try. It works on the guards in Camelin. You said if I smiled. And here's the funny thing it works on the guards because she literally can tell them what to do, more or less. Like, there's obviously limits to it, but it's at the guards in Camelin, not some backwater country hillbilly type people that live on the very fringes of Andor that never see anything from Andor. They get no help from Andor. They get nothing at all. They don't even help Andor. Like, they don't pay taxes. They don't do anything. So they're not even really part of Andor. They're just... Andor's like, we're claiming this territory. They're like, cool, what you gonna do if something happens? Nothing. Okay, well then... It's it's a map. That's all it is. It we have our own territory, whatever. And Matt gets kind of mad because Egwene apparently told her told Elaine that if you smile, he'll just do whatever. And he's like, Oh, what did you say? You know, that I'm a fool for any girl who smiles at me. But outside he's still calm and has his grin still. And Egwene's like, well, I wish just asking would be enough, but you don't do favors, do you, Matt? I'm like... When's the last time you asked for a favor? And he's like, have you ever done anything without being coaxed, wheedled, or bullied? And I'm like, well, so you're admitting you have to wheedle, bully, or coax somebody in order to get what you want done. And he smiles at her and is like, well, I will dance with both of you, Egwene, but I won't run errands. But he thought she was going to stick her tongue out at him for a second, but it didn't happen. And you could tell, obviously, they grew up together. <laughs> and then he was like, well, if you guys are done, can we get back to what we planned in the first place? The other two kind of nod. She looks at him. And for the first time since coming in, she looked like a wisdom of old, and with a stare that could pin you in your tracks and her braid ready to lash like a cat's tail. He's like, well, you are ruder than I remember, Matrim Cawthon, which he hates being called Matrim. And he's like, with you sick so long, and Egwene, Elaine, and I taking care of you like a babe in swaddling. I had practically almost forgotten. But even then, I would think you'd have little gratitude in you. You've talked about seeing the world, great cities. Well, what better city than Camelot? Do you want to, you know, do what you want, show your gratitude, help somebody all at the same time? And she produces a folded parchment the letter from inside her cloak puts it on the table. It's sealed with a lily in gold and yellow wax. You could ask for more than that. And he eyes the paper regretfully and he's like, he had barely any memories of passing through Cameland, but he vaguely did once with Rand and it was a shame to stop them now but he's like, it's probably best. He's like, well if you want the fun of the jig, you have to pay the harper sooner or later. So Nynaeve Kind of, obviously, uh, mad at him. But I mean, the longer he keeps from paying, the worse it's going to be for him. A his is jig. And he's like, well, naive, I can't. He's like, what do you mean you cannot? Are you a fly on a wall or a man? Yes, insult him. That, that'll that work. It works every time, right? A chance to do a favor for the daughter heir of Andor to see Camelon to meet Queen Morghazer herself in all probability, and you cannot? I really don't know what you possibly could want. Don't you skitter away like Grease on a griddle this time, match from Cawthon? Has your heart changed? So you like to see people or like seeing these all around you, waving your hand and face, practically hitting him in the nose, of the ring. And Elaine's like, please, please, Matt. And like, Wayne's just staring at him like he'd grown horns like a trollic. And he's scorched. "It's like, hey, guys, 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 guys. It's not that I don't want to. I can't. Like, the Omnimule made it so I can't get off the, you know, the island. Change that and I'll carry your letter in my teeth, Elaine. So all three of the women start looking at each other, and he's like wondering if they could read each other's minds, but they certainly seem to read his when he didn't want it, but they decided something, and they didn't seem to have read his thoughts, and then he was like, okay, out with it. Why would the Armourlin want to keep you here? He's like, well, at least... It's because I was sick. I went. It went on for so long, and she said I'd, she would not let me go until she was sure I wouldn't go off somewhere and die. And you know, not that I'm gonna go die. Yeah, well, no plans of that. Nynaeve's, like frowning, jerking her braid, and then took his head between her hands. Chill runs through him. And he's like, ah, it's the power, and he obviously hates it, probably more so than the tyrants. And before the thought was done, she'd released him. And he's like, what did you do to me? And he's like, oh, not a tenth of part of what you deserve. I'm like, well, all you did was delve him, but okay. You're as healthy as a bull, weaker than you look, but healthy. And he's like, well, I told you I was. In 98, she looked like you, you know, the Amarlin, you know, managing to loom even if she's a foot too short for it and bullying. But then her eyebrows climb up and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to go that far any further. And he's like, well, as long as he keeps him away from the horn. He doesn't he's not sure exactly if they know about the horn and him being the one blowing it. I mean he knows that they know about the horn, he knows that they know the horn exists. But he doesn't know if well, I just shouldn't say they know the horn exists. Maybe they know the horn exists. I don't know if there's any actual confirmation. I can't remember if it was just Varen, but I think that I think they know, if I remember correctly. Because when they were stopped by the White Cloaks outside of Tarvalon, um, I'm pretty sure if my recollection does not fail me, that they mentioned, like, oh, we can't let them get the horn. So I think they know about the horn, but they don't know who who uh, blew it. And he's like, well, I think they want to keep me here because of the dagger. I mean, they till they figure out exactly what it did. You know how Aes Sedai are? And they just stare at him, and he's like, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. You know, they want, they want to be bloody Aes Sedai. Burn me out from going on too long. I wish none even stop staring at me like that. Keep it short. It's like the Amulet made it so I can't cross a bridge or board a ship without an order from her. You see? It's not like I don't want to help. I just can't. And she's like, But you will if we can get you out of Tarvalon. It's like, You can get me out of Tarvalon and I'll carry Elaine to her, on my mother, or to her mother on my back. <laughs> to her mother's back. <laughs> and Elaine's eyebrows went up with that. And Egwene shakes her head, mouthing his name with a sharp look in her eye. It's like, Women had no sense of humor sometimes. This is actually a very valid point because out of this entire series, there are very few instances where women actually have a sense of humor. And in just a few cases I could think about it, at least half of them were the sense of humor that you don't understand because they're a different culture and it's just strange. I can think of one person that has a really good sense of humor, but we're not going to see her for a good time. Um, but <laughs> So... Nynaeve pulls the two of them together with her and they're just backstering him, talking softly and all he can hear is a murmur. And he thought he heard a way to say something about only needing one if they stayed together. And watching and wondering if they thought they could get around the Amarlin's order. And it's like, well, if they can do that, I will carry their blood letter, bloody letter and I really will carry it in my teeth. Without thinking, he picks up an apple core and bits off a bit off the end of it and one chew. and he hastily spit the mouthful of bitter seeds back on the plate. When they come back to the table, Le hands him a thick folded paper, and he eyes them suspiciously, but then takes it and then opens it up. And he reads, but he begins humming himself without even realizing he's humming. And the letter says, What the bearer does is done at my order and by my authority. Obey and keep silent at my command. Swan Sanche, Watcher of the Seals, Flame of Tarvalin, the Oberlin Seat. And he sealed. With, at the bottom, with the flame of Tarvalon in a circle, white wax as hard as stone. And what he's humming, and he realizes this, is a pocket full of gold. And he stops. He's like, is this real? You didn't, you know, wh- how did you come by this? And they're like, well, they didn't forge it, if that's what you mean. It's like, well, never you mind how we got it. It's real, and that's all that has to concern you. I would not show it around if I were you. Or the Omron will take it back, but it will get you past guards and onto a ship. He said you'd take the letter if we did that. He's like, well, you can consider this in Morgays' hands right now. (laughs) And he did not want to stop reading the paper, but he folded it up anyway and laid it on top of the letter. He's like, well, you wouldn't happen to have a little coin to go with this, would you? Some silver? A gold mark or two? I have almost enough for my passage, but I hear things are getting expensive downriver. Which is something that we need to know. Like, he's, he's hearing things in the town from probably merchants coming in to the city and staying at taverns and inns he's talking to them and whatnot and like, Hey, any news from around the world? And they're like, Oh yeah, things are getting expensive here. Going that this way, that and we're going to learn a little bit more about those things. But and he's like, don't you have any money? You gambled with here and almost every night until you grew too sick of the hold of dice. What? Well, why would things be more expensive down river? It's like, yeah, come on. Nineveh. We gambled for coppers, <laughs> like coppers you need a hundred coppers to make a silver, a hundred silvers to make a gold mark. Like, come on. And after he, after a while, he wouldn't even gamble coppers with me. But it doesn't matter. I'll manage. Don't you listen to what people say? You know, there's civil war in Kyrian, and I hear it's just as bad in tear. I heard a, uh, a room in an inn in Erangel costs about as much as a good horse back home. Maybe even more. They're like, we've been busy. But they have worried looks with the Gwayne and Elaine. And it's like, oh, so they had their entire... like. I'm thinking it's not Matt. Uh, you had your entire plan put together, but you didn't think about maybe we should check to see what the news is in the world. What's going on currently? Okay. But they're all kind of worried, and he kind of picks up on it. And he's like, well, I can make it out. No big deal. And he's thinking, there's got to be games and inns near the docks. A night with the dice would put him aboard a ship in the morning with a full purse. And it's like, well, just deliver that letter to Queen Morgays, Matt, and don't let anybody know you have it. It's like, oh, I will. I'll take it to her. I said I would. You wouldn't think I don't you can keep my promises, but the looks that Nynaeve and Egwene give him remind of a few that he didn't keep, and he's like, I will do it, blood and I will do it. I will do it. So they stay a little bit longer and they talk of home. Egwene and Elaine just sat on the bed. Nynaeve took the armchair and he just sat on the stool, talking of Evans Field, and kind of made him homesick. And it seemed that Nynaeve and Egwene said as if they were speaking they'd never see it again. And he's, sure, their eyes got a little teary at some point, but when he tries to change the subject, they bring it back to the people they knew, the festivals of Beltine and Sunday, to Harvest Dance, picnic gatherings, for the shearing and all that jazz. And I think this, it is kind of funny, because, like, if they become Aes Sedai, they can go back and visit whenever they want. Like, they're Aes Sedai. Like, unless the Omrileon sends them on a specific duty or something, or maybe Aja business, they can go whenever they want. Anytime, anywhere. But Elaine tells him of Camelin, what to expect of the royal palace, who to talk to, and a little bit of the city. But sometimes she holds herself in a way that made him pretty much just see a crown on her head. But then he he, he thinks this particular line that's probably the most amazing line in the entire series. A man would have to be a fool to let himself get involved with a woman like her. That's <laughs> uh, true. Anyway, when they get up to leave, he's actually kind of sad to see them go. But he stands up and he's like, well, look, you did me a favor here. A big one. And I know you're all going to be to die, And, you know, Elaine, you're going to be a queen eventually. And if you ever need any help, if there's anything I can do, I'll come. You can count on it something funny? Did I say something funny? And Elaine has a hand over her mouth and Egwene's trying not to openly laugh. And like, and Nynaeve's just like, no, Matt. But her lips twitch. She's like, just something I observed about men. Now, quick, keep in mind, Lan said this to Nynaeve. And he's not anywhere nearby, but there's that. And Elaine's like, well, you'd have to be a woman to understand. And he's thinking like, pretty sure people trade in favors all the time and i just gave them a favor like they they gave me a favor or didn't did me a favor so i'm returning them a favor and it's like hey if you need something and what we see happen to matt later on puts him in a position to really do some serious work if necessary and igwayne's like journey well and safely and remember if a woman needs a hero she needs him today not tomorrow and then she starts laughing and he looks at the the door closing behind them and before I get into this, I want to kind of point to this. A woman needs a hero. She needs him today, not tomorrow. I'm like, okay, there are some things you can't foresee and there are things you can foresee. And if there's something that's an incident where it happens and you need somebody right then and there, unless you have that person right then and there, you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna be able to get any help regardless of them or not. But if it's something you see happening, for example, let's say Elaine eventually becomes queen and Ilion decides to attack for whatever reason. It'd be kind of ridiculous because Ilion's always trying to kill Tyr, but let's say Ilion decides, hey, we're going to attack, we're going to attack Caelan and Andor. And she's like, ah, shoot, I could really use someone to help me because I see an army coming this way. And she sends out a letter and, you know, Matt just happens to be you know working in tier underneath the high council or the high uh the high lords and he's like hey we can foil a plot with ilion attacking camelin by attacking either ilion or taking their army in the flanks and that'll put us ahead against ilion and the high lord's like yeah go ahead and do it and then he brings an army or something and they save camelin like that's something she for could foresee that he could actually participate in without needing him that day. Because obviously, if you don't have scouts out, if you don't have news of refugees or whatever of a mountain come flying through your territory, you aren't doing your job as royalty. But then he decides in his, hell, his head, he's like, women, he decided for the, at least the hundredth time, we're odd. Also a very interesting statement. <laughs> No offense to the ladies, but you, you are a bit odd when it comes to men. Like, men see women as odd things because we don't fully understand you. To be fair, you don't fully understand us, but that's just part of it. But then he looks at Elaine's letter and the folded layer letter on top of it. Not really a letter, it's just paper. And it's the Omerlin's blessed not to be understood, but welcome as a fire in a winter paper. He danced a little caper in the middle of the flowered carpet. And he's like, ah, a Camelon to see and a Queen to meet. Ha ha, Amarlin, your own words will free me of you and get me away from Celine too. And then his last, his last line is great. And he's like, yeah, you'll never catch me. He laughed a minute for both of them. You'll never catch Matt Cawthon. And the only thing I'm thinking in my head is, you'll never take me alive, coppers. Good old Yosemite Sam. But yeah, that's the end of the chapter. Um, lots of information in it. Viewpoint information was definitely useful because now we know what Matt knows, which isn't too much. But he knew he he had known about the news downriver, which we know that the three we had been following didn't know. So there's information we're getting. Good writing. Now us the viewer slash reader is kind of on the, the same page when it comes to these four characters. So I like it. I thought it was, uh, well done. And I always love any, any chapter with Matt and it is a good Matt It's a good Matt. Yeah, it's a good Matt. Matt is good. Best boy. Good boy. Um, any chapter with Matt is a good chapter. I've never had a disappointing chapter. With him, just because of his personality. It just makes everything great. But, we'll go with that. And, um... Let me know what you thought. You can uh, reach out on Facebook, Tales of a Red Arm, on Twitter, at Tales of a Red Arm. Or directly reaching to me on my Gmail, which is Tales of a Red Arm at gmail.com. Love to hear what you guys think. Love to... Hear what you guys think is going to happen next. What, how, you, if you think I'm doing a good job or not, whatever it might be. Um, hopefully everything's going well for you guys. And I hope you're able to keep up with the podcast. Cause I know they can get long and there's a lot of them and there's going to be a lot more on top of that, but as it is, hopefully you guys are in fact, enjoying it. Um, for those of you who are still coming through the, behind later episodes and we'll eventually get to this episode hope you guys stick with it um i i do appreciate all of you um and i appreciate any uh word of mouth you spread about the podcast and definitely about the, the book series like even if you don't even let people know about the podcast please let them know about the books the books are amazing um and definitely keep reading the books um Audiobooks are also fantastic. Michael Kramer and Kate Redding do an amazing job. Um, Sometimes the pronunciations get switched throughout the series because they learn new ones or the fans tell them like, hey, it's actually this. And they adopt it later on. It's they do their best. (laughs) And in a fantasy setting with a lot of strange names, it is very, very difficult to do things the right way the first time and every time after so. But thanks, everybody, for hanging out. Um, not super long, but not super short. Um, we got Chapter 29 coming up. And it's a little bit longer than this previous chapter. or 20, Chapter 28 that we just did. So, uh, hopefully, you'll all join me for that one. We're getting closer and closer as we go. Almost halfway, so I'm looking forward to it. So... Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. Um Hopefully, you'll pop in for the next chapter again and all episodes continuing. So, thank you. We'll see you there. Until then. We drink all, all night and dance all day. And on the, the girls will spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll await the dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the, we'll the dice however they fall, and struggle the girls guns be they shot or tall. tall, then follow we'll young Matt wherever he goes, goes to dance with Jack, Jack of the Shadows. We'll, we'll toss, toss the, the dice however, however they fall, and snuggle the, snuggle the girls be they short and or tall, then follow Lord Matt wherever he, he goes, goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a, a yell with a year with the bloody, bloody curse and hug the mags, it could be worse and it's, it's right away with the dark was first to dance with Jack, jack, jack of the Shadows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>